Throughout this series, please take care to guard your heart. And if something you hear triggers you in some way, be blessed to turn off the podcast and do what you need to do to stay healthy. So if you're overpowered and you cannot run away and you cannot fight, what our body does as a way to protect us is we go into something called the collapse phase, which is what dissociation is. And so this is where trauma is pretty intense. And this is where people don't have the memory of what happened because they weren't there anymore. Their physical body was present, but their mind was shut down. Welcome to the Complicated Heart Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah May, and this is a show all about exploring messy heart topics and the strategies we can use to seek healing in the pain and restoration in the wounds. Welcome to the Complicated Heart Podcast. We are in a series called The Sex Series, and it's all about the complicated relationship many of us have with sex and sexuality. Today on the show and for the series, I have therapist Angie Durham, who is a licensed professional counselor, licensed marriage and family therapist, and a certified biblical counselor. I learned about Angie when I was at a conference recently, and I was in her session on trauma in the body, and I was blown away by her talk. I was taking so many notes, and of course, I thought I have got to get in touch with her to see if she would be willing to come on the podcast, and I did get in touch with her, and graciously... She said I could interview her. So I'm really looking forward to you being able to hear her today on the show as we talk about trauma and the body. Now, even though we are looking through the lens of sexuality and sexual trauma, please don't tune out because trauma in the body, there can be so many different things that qualify as trauma that can affect us today that we maybe aren't even aware of. So I would encourage you to still listen in, even if you don't or don't think you have sexual trauma in your history. Okay, so with that, Angie, welcome to the Complicated Heart Podcast. Thank you so much, Sarah. This is so fun and exciting, and I'm so grateful just to get to know you. And um, I, I love what you're doing and your your mission, and it's it's resonates with my own heartbeat. So I, I appreciate you having me here. I just think it's so fun that. I ended up in your session in Texas that I ended up going and was just very, very grateful. And I thought, oh my gosh, I've got to interview this woman. (laughs) I love watching God work like this. The, The ripple effect is just so fun. So Angie, why don't you go ahead and tell us just a little bit about who you are, what you do, and what led you to becoming a therapist? Yeah. So again, my name is Angie Durham. I'm an LPC. I'm also a LMFT, which is a marriage and family therapist. Um, I office out of North Texas Christian Counseling in a suburb in North Dallas, um, in Flower Mound, Texas. Um, and I am a certified biblical counselor as well. And so um, it was never my plan to become a therapist. Um, I actually have a, a bachelor's degree in business, and I was going to become a powerhouse in the business world. I was going to be a CEO and rule the world. And then I ended up uh, getting a, a degree in management and marketing and working in the business field and actually really not liking it. Hmm. And I felt a tug at my heart. Um, looking back at my life, I've always been the therapist in my friend groups, and people would come to me in high school for problems. And 
And I've always loved people and specifically had a a real compassion for the hurting. And so, Mm. yeah, God just completely shifted my perspective and to to really want to care for his people. So I went back to school, got my master's in counseling um, uh, back years ago. This was, this was many years ago now, but um, they didn't, biblical counseling really wasn't a thing yet. Um, There for sure wasn't a certification yet. And so uh, I just, we just kind of started counseling from a biblical lens. Um, and then now we have certifications and, um, things. And so, yeah, I've been working in private practice and, uh, for biblical counseling and really passionate about seeing people get free, mm. not just cope, but like really find freedom. Okay. Well, everybody listening, this is going to sound a little bit different than how I normally do interviews. And the reason is Angie actually teaches on trauma and the body. And she did such a fantastic job when I was in her session that I basically asked her, can you just come on and teach us so that we can understand? And she said that she would. And so she's going to basically teach us. And as I have questions, I will sort of uh, interject myself and ask them. But otherwise, she's just going to go ahead and take it. And here's why this is important. I just want to preface it and say this to, to all of you listening. Some of you haven't thought about how important it is to befriend our bodies and to not be an enemy with our body, but to learn to listen. And I can say that from experience because I have struggled. I hated my body for years because of the way it would react to different um, touch or different circumstances because of my own history, but I didn't understand it. And so I would constantly like try and push it away or change it or pray pray it different, um, for my body to be different. And it wasn't until I learned how to stop doing all of that and get curious about what my body might be trying to tell me that things began to shift for me in my life and with healing and freedom. And so the foundation of why we're doing this is because if we can learn how to listen to the body that God gave us and the way that he wired our bodies to always be speaking of us towards hope and healing and freedom, um, I think that's when we're going to see shifts in our own lives. So with that said, my friend, take it away. Yeah, I love what you just said. I think that's important. I think a lot of people have these symptoms in their body and um, they don't really understand where it's coming from and they tend to feel crazy. And so mm-hmm. to be able to put a label on, I do think is really helpful. And I do think right now, um, we're just trauma is the buzzword, right? Like it's, there's so much knowledge now, which is so great. Um, so much data on, on this topic. And I think the church is really catching up, which is fabulous. Yes. Um, Praise God. (laughs) And so I think there was this like sacred secular divide for many years where it's like, okay, I don't understand this. This is like secular counseling or this is psychology. And now to be able to kind of or even medical, and then now to put it together and go, okay, we are an embodied soul. Mm -hmm. And so the things that go on in our soulish part does impact our body and the body does impact the soul. And so to be able to tie them together in a really important way, that is where really full freedom can come and healing can come. And so I'm, yeah, I love this topic. Um, I will preface this by saying I am not the expert. I am not a medical doctor, um, but because there's so much data and so many resources and just being a therapist and just watching this play out in front of me, um, it's been really impactful for me. So I'm 
mm-hmm. as you're going to be able to tell, I'm very passionate about it because there is hope. And so anyway, yeah, all that to say, I think a really great place to start is definitions, right? So yes, the, Jesus is very, very clear in scripture where he says in John 16, he's like, in this world, you will have trouble. Okay. So we will have hardships and all kinds of things that are, that cause pain, but what, what makes trauma specific, right? What makes that, um, how is that a deeper thing? And so I want to just define it as this. It is a form of suffering um, that breaks one's sense of safety, uh, and it is caused by a deeply distressing or disturbing experience that will overwhelm one's ability to cope with that. And so it's so we've all gone through hard things, you know, we've been in hard situations, but generally we are able to cope with it. We have resources, our body adjusts, and we kind of move forward. But with trauma, there is an actual break in safety. And this mm. impacts many things. And so the very first thing it impacts is the physical body, which is where we're going to spend a lot of time. Um, Sarah, I know that when you came to my to my breakout in that Proclaim Truth conference, um, I talked about the body quickly, and then I talked about the the impact it has on the, the, the mind and the soul. And then I talked about what it does in relationships. And so it, it doesn't just impact the body, although we're going to spend our time today on that. And so unfortunately, trauma really does have its fingers in several places in our lives. Um, and so within that umbrella of trauma, the overwhelm, the, the inability to cope, there's different kinds of trauma. So real quickly, I'm just going to define some. The first one, I think everyone, if you're past the age of like, what, 15 or something, has been through this kind. This is the acute trauma. This is when you have symptoms of, of fear or um, distress, but these symptoms will go away within just a few weeks or maybe even days. Like I said, we, we adjust um, and it does not develop into something else. And then you've got the post-traumatic stress disorder. or We've heard people say PTSD. This is mainly the one we're going to be focusing on. Um, so to shorten it, we just call it trauma, um, but it's mainly PTSD. And this is an actual anxiety disorder that develops in reaction to a physical injury or a severe mental or emotional distressing situation. And so according to the um, DSM, which is the book we use to diagnose as counselors and professionals, um, they, they give it a minimum of a month. So if you have symptoms for a, at least a month past, uh, post the event, then you can be diagnosed with this. Otherwise, it's just called an acute trauma. And so one thing, I don't know if this is going to happen. I, I was uh, doing some research on this a while ago. And so again, I'm not one of the experts. So these expert people are, are talking about PTSD. And they're, my understanding is that they are trying to change the name of it from post-traumatic stress disorder to something along the lines of post traumatic reordering because mm. they're they're finding that it's actually not a disorder it's a reordering so when you go through trauma literally in the brain when they've done maps of the brain there is a reordering of the nervous system um, and so I'm hoping that that's true. I think that has such a better connotation than a disorder, you know? Um, and so I'm hoping that they do that. Anyway, all that to say it is, uh, they're, they're calling it actually a brain injury and wow. not just, yeah. And so it's, it's, I'm like, so you're putting it in the same category on some level as falling off of a four wheeler. I mean, mm. that is significant. 
And I think that's really helpful. I know when I'm talking with clients about this, they feel so broken and they really feel like they have a disorder. And I'm going, no, 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 your brain has done this thing because of the, because of this event. It's, it's nothing to feel ashamed, you know, feel shame about. Um, anyway, it's all that to say, I hope that they, they do that, but I think, yeah. And I do mm-hmm. want to interject here. Yeah. I think what's incredible about what we're learning about the brain is most of us hear the term PTSD and what do we automatically think? Mm-hmm. Veterans yeah. or right. Absolutely. Like war. that's what yeah. I think war. I, I do not think about the person who was abused as a child or who yes. was emotionally neglected or yes. who had a sexual trauma. Like we don't think about that right. um, because that term has been so associated with right. veterans. And the reality is you can absolutely have some post-traumatic brain reordering. Yes. I hope they do change it to that. Yes. Um, because of a trauma. And I know you're going to continue on with some yeah. of these other com- complex. So I'll let you go ahead and do yeah. that. But I think it's important for us to not shut our ears off when we hear PTSD, but instead to go, whoa, wait, maybe there's something yeah. we're learning here that has to do with me. Right. And it's just so common. Um, I do a lot of work with marriages and it's so fascinating how often we have to kind of pause the marriage counseling and do the individual trauma work because it's Mm -hmm. so impactful and people don't really understand that they really are carrying those kinds of wounds. And so, yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. And you touched on this really, the one that's, I think the most, uh, I think people know PTSD, but this other one called complex trauma. I think a lot of people don't understand that one yet. I think we're getting more education out there. And so some people call it complex trauma. I've heard people call it chronic trauma. This is when the traumatic events are not just one time. This is not like just a car wreck or, or one assault or something. This is like so many, um, so many events that some people don't even remember them all. And so, so this is when it happens over time. Um, it's usually uh, pretty almost always, almost always it's interpersonal relationships. And so it's usually starting from childhood and caregivers with their children, you know, parents and children. And so that definitely encompasses all forms of abuse. So we're talking physical, emotional, uh, mental, sexual, all, all of the kinds of abuse. That's absolutely true. But there's also, some people can walk away from their childhood with some complex trauma from neglect, from shame, so patterns of shaming, invalidating the child's needs and thoughts and feelings, criticism and control. Um, I mean, those types of things that are ongoing as that child is developing into an adult, like some of those things are so deeply impactful that to them it's just normal. And they have to, yeah, and they have to come in and go, okay, why am I responding this way? Why do I have symptoms like this? And complex trauma, is that a form of PTSD? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. We'll have this very similar symptoms, which we'll get into some of these, the body symptoms. Um, but because it wasn't physical, well, sometimes it is if it's abuse, physical abuse, um, but these ones that aren't physical, t- people tend to minimize and just say, oh yeah, you know, my, you know, my dad was harsh, but you know, he never hit me. You know, he didn't assault, he didn't abuse me. I wasn't molested. And so they minimize their experience. Um, and not that every time someone walks away traumatized, but, 
But a lot of times people are carrying such deep wounds and then it's coming out, manifesting in these PTSD symptoms. Absolutely. I think that's an important thing, actually, that you just said, that what we have to remember is it's not that everybody gets traumatized from a trauma. Yes. But if your body is reacting in a way that is taking you back to what that trauma felt like. And I know we're going to get into that. That's how you can sort of start to recognize, wait a minute, maybe there's something here for me to look at. That's, that is profoundly important. And, and what's tricky about this is two people can go through the exact same situation. Let's say it's a sibling and they're both being yelled at at the same time, or, you know, you're in a, in the same car during a car wreck or, or some sort of event that's the same but two people will respond very differently. And so one person may walk away from that event traumatized and one person is just having that acute trauma that like, oh, that was hard, but maybe they have resources. Maybe they have, uh, there's lots of, there's lots of um, kind of prerequisites of like, we try to figure out who's going to be traumatized. And a lot of it is like emotional health before the event and, um, you know, emotional maturity and, and coping skills and, and support. Um, there's lots of things that contribute to it. But yeah, it is important to note that you may be listening to this podcast and go, yeah, you know, my dad was pretty harsh as well or whatever, but I don't feel traumatized at all. Great. You know, we don't, we definitely don't want to create something, right. but I think more times than not, people are carrying, um, some pretty deep wounds that are manifesting. I always use the the phrase of like, if you have this pain, um, and I always use the analogy of like a, a mason jar within your heart that has a, a live tornado in it. And we just kind of close that lid and we tighten it up. We, sh- we shove it in our heart and we just live. We grow up, we, you know, we age, we, we get a job, we get married, whatever it is. And all of that pain, all of that turmoil is still full of energy and it will wreak havoc in your life. Um, it, it, but I always say it always comes out sideways. So you may not be linking it. You may, you may not even have conscious memory of something in the past, but if it's coming out through, through body, your physical body or, um, uh, symptoms there, or is it anger? Is it addictions? Is it, you know, sexual sin? Like, what do we, what is it coming out as eating disorders and self-harm? It's just, I mean, the list goes on and on. And so it's just important to understand that even though we may not be, we, we may not be, um, consciously aware of the roots that that pain is in there. And that's why I'm so passionate about this. It's, not to create problems, but to go back and, and resolve problems. Yes. Okay, so there's another category, um, which is called secondary trauma. And that is for people um, who are in the helping role. So um, it could be counselors, it could be mentors, it could be um, you know, definitely uh, physicians, nurses, ER nurses, police, firefighters, first responders, any, anybody who has a front row seat to someone else's trauma. Um, a lot of times this is also true for parents um, or family members. So if you have a family member, let's say a daughter who was assaulted or, uh, or a, a family member who's going through a, a really painful divorce or, or something that's gone on, a family member having cancer or something, it is trauma, potentially traumatizing for the helper as well. Um, I've heard people use the the term um, compa- uh, compassion fatigue, where we get kind of burned out. But sometimes what's going on is it's actually traumatizing to the helper. 
And so what it does to the body, again, going back to this concept of this is not just, oh, you poor thing, you went through something terrible. I'm so sorry. It's, it's a literal um, changing of our nervous system. And so again, I'm not a physician, a physician, but I'm so, I love, I'm geeked out about the idea of how God has wired our brain. It is fascinating to me. Um, and again, going back to that idea when Jesus is going in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. But, but he's warning us like things are going to get hard this side of heaven. And so even in his design for our body, he created us to have systems in place that are helpful to us in times of need. Um, and so this system um, is called the autonomic nervous system. It has these two parts. And so we got the sympathetic system. And then we have the parasympathetic system. And so just a real quick overview of that. A sympathetic system is the fight and flight. And so this, is, this requires a higher energy. Um, this is for safety. Um, you know, it, it, it sends the right hormones to, to be able to keep yourself safe. And then you have the parasympathetic system, which is the lower energy that is your digest, rest, and restore system. And so for us to be in balance, for us to be healthy, both of these systems have to work together and in the good kind of balance in order for us to be healthy. And so a really good example of this is if you've ever driven on the interstate and, you know, going fast and, and maybe you're in someone's blind spot and somebody swerves into our lane, I think we all can even feel it as I'm talking about it, and we have this rush of adrenaline. So that sympathetic system kicks in right then. And we swerve out of the way and we feel all of the feelings, the blood flowing, a heart racing, we're breathing a little bit more shallow, quicker. Uh, then we feel emotions, right? We're angry. We may honk, you know, we may um, get really upset. We may cry. You know, there's, there's all kinds of like emotions that come along with that as well. But then what happens after just a few minutes, hopefully, that parasympathetic system will actually come back online and restore the right balance. And so your heart rate goes down. And sometimes we just completely forget that even happened. And so that is healthy, right? But in trauma, those systems actually get out of balance. So specifically, we have this system called the limbic system. And um, the, there's this really important piece of that called the amygdala. It's this little almond-shaped little thing in our brain. Um, and we call that the fire alarm of the brain. Its responsibility is to keep us alive. It's to keep us safe. And so um, I, like, I like thinking of like, you know, you think of a, uh, if you're like in an office setting or something and you have these fire alarms and when the fire alarm goes off, sometimes there's these um, waters, you know, the water comes out, right? You've seen this in movies. We don't usually have it in our homes, but you know, it's, it, it senses the smoke and that it immediately sends out the water and, you know, showers the whole house, the whole, the whole room. That's kind of what the amygdala does. It, it senses a potential uh, threat to our safety. And then it immediately sends out the right chemicals, uh, adrenaline, cortisol, you know, these hormones to prepare our body to either run away or to fight. And so when that happens, blood will actually shunt away from other organs to our limbs, like our, like our legs, to be able to prepare for the emergency. 
And so what's interesting about this is if you if you've been traumatized, that amygdala is so hyper vigilant because it's just thinking, you know, you can't go through this again. I have to protect her. <laughs> you know, I have to protect him. And so it's it's so on guard for anything that's even potentially smelling like smoke. And, and if it's potential, it's just going to send out all of that adrenaline and cortisol again. And so in those moments, you know, if you're being attacked by a bear, for example, all of that energy goes to safety. And so digestion, you know, digesting your lunch is just not a priority at that point. It's stay alive. And so it, it, it does mess with our digestive system. It does mess with these other things, which I'll get to in a minute. And so, this, so that is the role of the amygdala. It's super important. Um, and then we've got this other thing called the hippocampus. This is um, kind of our filing cabinet for memories, especially short term, um, and like explicit memories. Um, so like things that we will bring to recollection. Um, it's also in charge of emotional regulation. Um, and then we have this thing called the, called the hypothalamus. That is your it, this is the thing that regulates your heart, your heart rate, your hunger, your thirst, sexual arousal, and sleep. And then we have this really important piece too in our brain called the prefrontal cortex. Some people call it the frontal lobe. Some people call it the neocortex. Same idea. It's right there, you know, uh, behind your forehead, um, for the front part of your, your brain. Um, and this part is super important because it is responsible for self-awareness, reasoning ability, decision-making, and social behavior. And so when trauma happens, the amygdala is the one driving the ship. It's, it's all about safety and survival. And so what happens in trauma is this prefrontal cortex actually will end up going offline. Now, hopefully it's just for a short amount of time, like when that car's swerving in, but sometimes it stays offline. Um, and so when you think about that, when you see someone who is truly terrified and thinks they're about to die, they do not care about social, <laughs> social behavior. If they're acting crazy, if they're, you may see them yell at someone, you may see them scream and yell. It, that's just offline and decision-making they're, they're doing really erratic things that just don't make sense. Reasoning. Everyone else is looking at them going, what, what's wrong? What, what, there's nothing happening. Their, their prefrontal cortex is working because they can reason, oh, it's, it's okay. But they, they can't reason what's going on around them. So the amygdala is that fight, it is fight, flight, or freeze, but especially with the adrenaline and the cortisol, it creates this movement usually, uh, which I'll get into. There is something called dissociation that happens, and that is the freeze response. Um, and that is when our other attempts have failed to work. Um, and so that prefrontal cortex can go offline um, and the reasoning, the reasoning ability um, um, kind of goes offline as well to where we can't make sense of what's happening. So we're very reactionary. This is when survival takes over, right? That's like exactly trying, right. Our bodies are trying to survive. That's right. And so th this is where you get that term trigger. Like mm. there could be a trigger. It's usually something to do with our senses. So we hear something, we smell something, we, we, we see something, you know, whatever. We feel a feeling, you know, especially like if there's sexual abuse, if someone touches your arm in a certain way, or like you just, that immediate fear, um, your brain is going, this is familiar. And so our brains are constantly making associations. 
constantly. And so we're, and we're always assessing risk. We just, we do it anyway, especially I think as moms, <laughs> we're just assessing risk. And, and then to be able to, to actually have experience. So one thing about that amygdala, I don't know if I mentioned this, it also can house the implicit memories. So these are memories that we're not really conscious of. Mm. So maybe let's say you're four years old and dad is yelling at you pretty harshly. You may have no memory of that date. You may not remember what you were wearing and what he was saying, but your brain remembers it. And so if you're now married and your husband just starts to raise his voice a little bit, the brain's going, danger, this is familiar, I don't like this. And that adrenaline can start pumping without her understanding or him understanding what's going on. I actually heard in a class once that the younger you are, when abuse happens, the worse it is or the harder it is because you don't have an actual memory of it. Is that true? That can be true. I think what's really hard, that falls in that category of complex trauma because it probably happened several times. Mm. Um, complex trauma is very, uh, it's, not, it's not outside of the gospel by any means, but it is definitely harder, especially because of how deep the impact is on the brain. So when you think of a child, like the, the child's brain is developing this way. Mm. It's not just, you know, it's not just when we're 25 or something and you have a car wreck. Um, it's, it is, it is a little bit more hard. And then the other thing too, is the other, um, negative things about trauma. So like the, what it does to the soul, like the emotions, mm -hmm. um, the shame, especially and the, and the beliefs that get formed, um, with complex trauma is a little bit more complicated for sure. Yeah. Although the good yeah. news is God made our bodies That's to right. heal. So That's right. don't lose hope yeah. if you're hearing this. Absolutely. And and I just, I do want to, I think that's a really good thing if, I don't know who's listening to this. And so some people, this complex trauma category is brand new. Um, and I know that that can activate something as people are hearing me talk about this and what's going on. Like that example I gave of the husband raising his voice and she just like, you know, starting to feel it. Mm. They may never have had that category. And so I do want to, I do want you to know that, um, it is very, very, um, common. Um, and it's, it's very healable. <laughs> there is hope. Um, but I would encourage you um, to get with a, a therapist or somebody who is trained um, to to walk through some of this and just to kind of see where these associations are happening. Mm. Um, but absolutely, do not get hopeless. Um, the Lord is bigger than all of this. And man, this is why He came. He came for the broken and the and the hurting and the sinner and the lost. And so, definitely, this is just to categorize some of this mm -hmm. to, to put words to it. Yeah. So again, this idea of trauma, after trauma, our worlds are actually experienced with a different nervous system. Um, you are not crazy. This is your, this is your body doing, doing, doing this. It's not your, your will and your choices necessarily. Um, and so, um, so yeah, this idea of that amygdala or, or they call it the emotional part of our brain it can rule over our rational and thinking brain. And so again, the, the, the healing comes from, from establishing that balance again. Um, and again, one thing to note, I think we kind of touched on this. Again, we, we tend to think of trauma as physical things, something that's painful, hurtful to our body. But the, you can have these same responses because of emotional pain. Mm -hmm. So the same idea of that example with the, the little girl and the husband now. 
And so if there's shame, if there's rejection, um, criticism, if if you have felt that intense pain sometime in your life, your brain, that amygdala, is still going to do what it's going to do, even for emotional things, yes. not just physical things. And I think that's a very important point that people don't understand um, because they always minimize their experience and say, but I wasn't hit. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it didn't choke me, but but still you were wounded and your brain is saying, oh, I can't do this again. Yeah. It's, it's trying to protect you. Yeah. Mm. Or I even think about, maybe this is outside of the realm of what we're talking about, but I don't know why it came to mind, but let's say a child stumbles across pornography. Well, maybe they weren't sexually assaulted physically, but in a way that is a, in a sexual assault because it's an exposure when their brains aren't even, or bodies are ready to experience what they're seeing. Yeah. Would that be, would there, sure. would there be trauma in that? Sure. It's amazing how, yeah, that's an important topic. Anything that's sexualized pornography or seeing something that they shouldn't be seeing, our bodies respond to that, even as little children. And there's this nervousness, there's this mm-hmm. curiosity, there's all kinds of things that, that get stirred up and those, those chemicals in our brain are working. And so, yeah, it definitely leaves an impact. I've, I've heard many stories of, of women um, and men say, I can remember exactly the pornography I saw when I was 11, like, ex- like, like to the detail. And yet they can't yeah. remember what they ate for lunch two weeks ago. You know what I mean? It's just, it's, mm. it's amazing. Yes. Yeah, so absolutely. And then if there's that association in the present to that hard feeling, yes. I, I mean, there's, that's, what's hard about trauma is it could be anything. Um, I was walking with a woman recently um, in my office and she just kept minimizing her pain. She was really struggling presently and, and with, with insecurity, rejection, those types of fear of rejection, fear of man. And I, I just kept having this hunch that there was something in childhood. And she's like, my childhood was wonderful. My parents were great. I had no abuse. Just, she just we couldn't find anything. And I said, have you ever had an experience with, with rejection? And she just kept minimizing this rejection. She said she was in fifth grade and these girls you know, didn't invite her to the birthday party. And, and she started weeping. She's a 50 year old woman, just weeping and, and, and feeling shame about this. Right. And so I'm going, no, 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 we don't minimize pain um, just because it wasn't physical or, you know, we just, we tend to, we tend to minimize and, and be kind of in denial about some of it. And again, some people wouldn't be traumatized from that experience, but this woman was, and many are. And so, yeah, it's just important to give yourself that, that compassion and that dignity to say, Hey, my feelings matter. Um, we don't, we don't have to judge our feelings and see if right. they're right or wrong. Yeah. It's so important. That's good. Yeah. So, um, so going back to this concept now of like what happens. And so when that prefrontal cortex goes offline, um, our, our body systems remain out of balance um, and so we may start to, the survivor may start to respond to really kind of what we would call minor stressors with really extreme responses. Mm. And so if there's a, a threat of, of being unsafe or a threat of annihilation of some kind, we're going to fight for ourselves because God created us to, to be protective. Um, but sometimes we don't need that level of protection. And so this really does play out like in present day in relationships mostly, right? And so it could be in conflict with your spouse or the way you parent. Um, And we're responding to like even the scent of criticism. 
So if someone in your life criticizes you or, or, um, you know, in any way you feel shame, we have to, I always said, put the porcupine quills out. We have to defend ourselves. And so the spouse is going, I don't understand why you're reacting. Why are you screaming at me right now? Why are you running away? You know, fight, flight, or freeze, right? Mm -hmm. So in conflict, we, we may start screaming, yelling, throwing things, something like more with energy, or we may run away. Um, and totally not even want to deal with it or that idea of freeze that is really important when a lot of people don't understand what's going on and so one thing that's just I'm going to barely touch on this but what happens in in times of harm or, or fear we go through this order it's usually very very quickly but we go through this order of protection and the first thing is called the social engagement system, which is just a fancy way of saying we cry out. (laughs) We say, help. The baby cries. The child says, mommy, come help me. You know, as adults, we we reach out to community or our spouse or somebody for help. And and usually that's helpful, right? So in in a normal system, a healthy person, the baby would be picked up, the child would be cared for, and we would be helped to cope, right, with that hard thing. If that doesn't work, then we go into fight or flight mode. Okay, I got to protect myself. So if you want to think of a more extreme case, so we can think of an assault. Someone just broke into the home or something. Okay, we scream for help. We try to call 911, but that may not work. And so now we're going to fight for ourselves. We may use weapons. Or the child who's getting yes. abused can't go anywhere exactly. because... Exactly. So yeah. if you're overpowered and you cannot run away and you cannot fight... As sad as it is, what our body does as a way to protect us is we go into something called the collapse phase, which is what dissociation is. And so Mm. this is where trauma is pretty intense. And this is where people don't have the memory of what happened because they weren't there anymore. Their physical body was present, but Mm. their mind was shut down. And as sad as that is, I can't help but worship that the Lord created us with that ability because I have heard Hmm. story upon story of, I mean, talk about secondary trauma and just like, wow, like this happened to you. This is awful. And yet she remained to where she could survive. I mean, she lived through that. Um, And that part of that was because of that dissociation. Now it will that again, that's that tornado in the heart, right? In the jar, it's still there and it's, it needs to be dealt with. But when some people are going through such traumatic experiences, it's a wonder that they make it at all. Um, And so all that to say, that's kind of the order of what happens. And so that fight, flight, and freeze, it just really depends. And so even in the present day, one person may not respond the same way every time. And that's what's really hard for, for the spouse or the person in their life, because it can be very erratic. One day they're yelling, next day they're running away. You know, the next day they're dissociating completely. They don't even, they're just not even talking. Um, and so it really depends on what's getting triggered in that person. And what's really hard about trauma too is, so thinking of the, that amygdala, right? That, that almond-shaped thing. I call him Mr. Almond sometimes when I'm working with kids. When Mr. Almond is, is on high alert and he's activated, like think of that energy, think of that hypervigilance. And so what happens is the, the, their day-to-day life as they're going to work and they're going to the store and all these normal human interactions, 
they're now that a lot of that energy is focused on suppressing this inner turmoil within them. And so that requires a lot of energy, but a lot of people don't even know that they're doing that. They're just exhausted. Um, they're irritable. They have all of these emotional issues, anxieties, depression, anger, you know, all these potential symptoms. And they're not understanding that, oh my gosh, I'm overwhelmed that I am maintaining this jar in my heart um, at the expense of, of peace and involvement in their life. And so it's a very big deal. It, it's a very um, intense form of suffering. So let's talk about what it does to the body. And here's where I think medical research is really growing and it's, it's, it's an exciting time but to be able to actually see like this is an actual consequence um, of long-term you know, trauma um, and not unresolved pain is another way to say that. And so some things on the list are chronic fatigue syndrome, or how about fibromyalgia? I have lots of people who come in that have been diagnosed with fibromyalgia, and there's no causation that the medical community has found, but they're linking it now to trauma to go, yeah, unresolved pain is causing, and fibromyalgia, I mean, there's pretty intense pain, muscle pain and tenderness and fatigue and mood issues and sleep issues. There's so many issues. Um, Have you seen people come in with fibromyalgia and then they've gone through therapy and then it goes away? I don't know if the doctor would 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 say it's gone, but but the woman would say, yeah, I don't have as much muscle pain or I don't have for sure sleep issues change. Um, yeah, and so it, it's amazing how again we're embodied souls, and so when that inner turmoil has not been um, um, healed our bodies are going to feel it. So, yeah, absolutely. I've, it's been one of, the, one of the benefits for sure of watching the Lord work. Um, weakened immune systems. People tend to be more sick sometimes. Migraines, um, irritable, irritable bowel syndrome or digestive, digestive issues, um, autoimmune diseases, adrenal fatigue, insomnia. I see insomnia quite a bit. Um, and then sometimes even sexual dysfunction. Um, and so if you have some of these on the list, you may not have trauma. Um, so it's not it's just because it's on the list doesn't mean it has to be caused from trauma. But right, there right. is there is a correlation that we're finding that some of these things really are impacting day-to-day life. I mean, it's worth asking if you're experiencing any of them yes. to just go, hmm, Lord, is there something unresolved That's right. that you want me to deal with? So again, it's not that everything is caused by something That's unresolved, right. but it could be. It yes. could be something. That's right. And so, yeah, some people panic and go, oh, I have migraines. I bet I have some deep, dark, hidden secret from my past that I dissociated from. Not necessarily. Maybe. Mm-mm. And in the Lord's timing, if he brings that, we're not going to go digging for that. Right. I was just going to say, I always heard, don't go digging. No, like if the to. Lord, he'll bring, he will show you. And then you have a choice right. to sort of like pretend you don't see it or to right. avoid it right. or to go, oh, okay. Yeah. I'll go through that. Yeah. And I think again, that minim, the minimizing of it, you know, they'll, they'll say, oh yeah, I think I do have, you know, what insomnia. Well, maybe it is because of my my, my upbringing and my parents being disconnected. Oh, but they never mm-hmm. hit me or they never, they still provided for my basic needs. And so again, we, we tend to minimize it and, and um, then we don't get the help that we need to, to just go back and look at the impact. And we don't do that to villainize parents or to villainize anyone, um, but to be able to go, what was the takeaway? What was the impact 
of growing right. It's up just there. being honest. That's it's right. It's just facing reality. That's right. Um, so when you say, since we're in the middle of a sex series, yeah. when you say um, one of the physical and psychological things that can lead to um, symptoms with sexual dysfunction, mm-hmm. what does that mean? Does that mean somebody who? Just tell me what that means. What What would be sexual dysfunction? How would you define that? For women, it can be a low libido. Um, for a lot of women, there's a lack of pleasure um, in sex. Um, they can't. And there's a lot of there's a lot we could go into that of of going like uh, it could be more psychological and more emotional. But sometimes if it is rooted in trauma, like that ability to be vulnerable. Right. Mm-hmm. So think about when we're talking about sexuality, we're talking about the most vulnerable you can be. Yeah. Um, and so if you have a history of being mistreated, even if it's not sexual, right, even if you weren't sexually abused, um, if there was shame on you, if there's, if there's unresolved pain of any kind, it could, again, I'm talking about that tornado. And I said that pain can come out sideways. Um, so it, this is a sideways way it could, um, yeah, infertility. That's one I think they're doing a lot of research on still. And so I don't, I definitely don't want to, I'm not a, a researcher myself, but this idea of like, I've seen so much correlation with infertility with women in, in my practice and pretty significant trauma from their past. And so the, the, I think the part where we're trying to figure out is, um, you know, we talked about how when that amygdala is ruling, uh, that sympathetic system is 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 ruling. That parasympathetic system is off, and part of the parasympathetic system is digestion. Remember, sleep and reproduction. And so we're trying to figure out, like, is there a link there? Maybe there's there's probably already research out that I don't know about, but but p- potentially, yeah, I'll say potentially. Wow, yeah, it's heartbreaking. Um, yeah, and so there's um. The important thing, so even if someone's listening to this right now, if you feel activated, so emotionally activated, just by thinking about these things and hearing some of the things I'm talking about even, it is so important that we help people not just have a category of like, okay, I think this is me. I think she's talking about me. But but now what? <laughs> what do right. we do? Because emotionally activated could be like what, like your heart racing. Yes. It could be you wanting to be like, I'm not listening to this. Like yep. throwing your phone across the room. I mean, I'm just trying, like yep. these are, this is emotional activation. Yep. Okay. Anxieties. There could be someone feeling anxious right now. There could be somebody who's feeling angry. Um, it, it, basically the, the term is being dysregulated. And so what dysregulation is what happens with trauma and triggers to trauma. So you can just be living your life. So you've been living your life just listening to a podcast. And if you could be triggered through a sermon or a book you're reading or, or a TV show or something, conversation, and you get dysregulated, meaning you're feeling feelings that are deeply impactful and you feel like you need uh, to cope and sometimes you feel like you can't cope. So again, trauma is the inability to cope. Yeah, I was just going to say, if you're feeling it, and I said this at the beginning of this series, like if you have to turn it off, turn it off until you can take a walk or yes. breathe or talk to a friend or something. Because um, if you do get dysregulated, that can be really harmful. 
Yes, yes. It's very, very painful and harmful. We don't want to re-traumatize anybody. And that's why it's very important that people find a therapist that is trauma-informed because we don't just want to get into memory work and then just send them back into the world without having good coping skills and ability to regulate themselves. And so it's really important because again, going back to that, that social engagement system, like this idea of crying out for help, we need other people's help to regulate sometimes. Um, and so, especially as a child, oh goodness, especially as a child. Um, and so if we didn't, if we weren't given that, we don't have good coping skills for, for hard feelings. And so if you're feeling angry or especially rage or, um, um, deep anxiety and panic, those types of things, you're, you're dysregulated. And so I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this, but there's a really great resource. Um, I think it was made by Dr. Siegel, I want to say, Dan Siegel. Um, it's called The Window of Tolerance. You can Google this. There's so many things you can find images of it. And what happens in trauma as we jump out of our comfort zone, out of our emotionally regulated window. Um, and that is when we are calm, cool, collected, and still connected. And so dissociation um, is when we're not connected anymore. We're not in the present moment. We don't know what we're feeling and thinking. And so we jump out of this window into what we've already been talking about, fight or flight, Right, so that's mm-hmm. we call that being hyper aroused. Um, that's when it, that's the one that requires energy, right? And so that's when you get um, more um, anxious and overwhelmed. We have maybe have some rage, some outbursts of emotion. Uh, this is where you get OCD behavior or eating issues, addictions, anything that's active. And again, we're we're trying to make ourselves feel better in a sense. And then we've got that freeze response or the hypo hypo aroused. That's our, that's our dissociation. That's so we got fight flight and then we got freeze and dissociation is being on autopilot. It's being physically in the room, but not connected at all. Um, and this is people spouses will say, I don't understand why she's not talking. I don't understand why she's literally acting like she's asleep, but her eyes are open. Um, and that's, what's going on probably is she's been triggered that trauma trigger has happened. And, and again, you could do any one of these three and even in the same fight. So you may, she may start off or he may start off fighting, yelling, you know, controlling, and then saying, forget it, I'm out of here. And then she runs away. Hmm. Um, or she may completely just shut down immediately and not even connect in that, in that, um, in that conversation at all. And so it's really important that we stay, we learn how to stay within that window. And so that's where coping skills come in um, to be able to stay connected, to stay present and to be able to bring that prefrontal cortex back online through reasoning and thinking. Um, And that can take some time um, to learn and to practice. I really like how um, in that window of tolerance, um, diagram or what it is, is the idea of staying in the middle sort of, um, balanced is calm, cool, collected and connected because we can look at lots of people and think, Oh, they're calm, cool and collective collected. That doesn't mean they're connected. It doesn't mean they're connected with the truth of the thing. It doesn't mean they're connected with the, their body. It doesn't mean any of that. Cause there's lots of people I think walking around with trauma 
who are super yes. cool, calm, and collected. <laughs> You're right. You're so right. And the disconnect yeah. is just that. It's it's the disconnect. There's not actually right. a connection with the body and the reality and the truth of a thing. That's right. And then how can we connect with someone else right. on an intimate level? How can we be vulnerable and 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 you know intimate with someone? not just physically, but emotionally, if you don't know what's going on within you. And so, but the problem with being connected, it's painful, right? Yes. You have to face these things. And so if they don't have good coping skills, if, if we don't feel like we can handle that kind of pain of facing the truth, mm-hmm. then we're going to jump out of that window quickly and protect ourselves. I actually heard or read something. I think it was Dan Allender said, um, it's not the pain that's hard. It's the being comforted. Mm. I, I think, and I'm probably totally butchering the quote, but the idea is that like our trauma and our pain is very difficult, but what's very difficult is putting yourself in a vulnerable position to be loved then because you want to run mm-hmm. from it because it's, that's right. You associate it with pain. And I thought that's that was right. so interesting. It is interesting. And it's so true because it's risky. Right. So again, yes. our, our brains are going, it's, it's always like, it has its head on a swivel going, where, where's my, where's the risk? And then if it's intimate relationships, especially if you're divorced or you've been betrayed or something, you're going, I can't do this again, at least not on the same level yeah. of, of vulnerability. So absolutely. It, this is a, I'm making it sound easy of like, no, we just got to have good coping skills. No. It is hard. <laughs> yeah, right. It's, it's, it's easy to understand it, but it's really hard to consistently live it. And this is where you need community and, 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 um, uh, helping professionals to to really walk you through um, staying within that window. Yeah, yeah, that's really good. Okay, so yeah. you were talking about like the physical things that can happen. What are some yeah. of the soul mind things that can happen? And please do at some point give us this fantastic metaphor I've heard you use about a child who takes on trauma and how they grow up in that. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. Okay, so yeah, there, there's there's many impacts of of the of the wounds of trauma that how it impacts the soul and the mind, not just the brain. So we've been talking about the brain, but actual the thinking it, it impacts the soul in that area. Um, we we did mention um, dissociation, which is a, a big part of just I'm not connected into my world. So we've already talked touched on that one. That's a huge one. Another thing that's really important to understand, I think a lot of people come into counseling and they don't really see the need to go back to the memories or back to childhood or whatever the experience because they're functioning okay. They just, they don't really see the purpose. And one thing I always want to encourage people is um, the event itself. So let's say it's a divorce. The Mm -hmm. event itself, although there's many parts of that that are Mm -hmm. painful and we could get into many things. One of the big things we have to work on in counseling is the new beliefs that got formed because of that event. And so we make sense of our world. We add meaning to the event. And if you are a child, oh, this gets real hard. We have to still attach to our caregiver. And so we have to, for survival, And so we are making sense of this abuse or this neglect somehow. I love how you say, yeah, the events are not the main problem. The problem is what we believe about it, like what beliefs came out of it. And you're so right. right. As kids, I've heard that quote that kids are excellent 
observers, but terrible interpreters. That's exactly right. Oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so think of if you're a little four-year-old girl believing something, oh, this must be my fault. Mm-hmm. I'm bad uh, my because I have to still attach to my mother because she's the one who feeds me. I need her. And so yeah. it's easier for a person and even an adult to go, okay, so my husband left me. Okay, it must be because whatever, right? We fill in the gap. Yeah. Or as a child who was um, sexually violated in some way, um, I know that sometimes they can go, oh, there must be something on me that says I want this or I like this. And so then they live out of that and maybe go into a sex industry Mm, or they become promiscuous. Now it can go the opposite direction too, but I I can't remember what the studies are, but it's like 90 some percent of girls and women who have entered in some form of the sex industry have been sexually assaulted. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's heartbreaking, um, especially as children. Again, they don't even have categories yet to say, "Oh, this is abuse." Mm-hmm. And my mom is mentally ill. Like right. she, they don't have the category, and so it must be these things. Mm-hmm. And let's not forget that we have an enemy. We have Satan yes. is a prowling lion looking for any opportunity to jump on, which he will. And to speak lies and and create these strongholds and hopefully even get us to make these vows of agreements with, like what you said, uh, I must be created for sexual purposes Mm -hmm. or I can't trust men or whatever the belief gets formed, those can become very, very debilitating beliefs. Yes. That that's where we do most of the work in counseling mm-hmm. is to is to go to acknowledge what has happened, go back, feel all the things we need to feel, forgive or we need to forgive. But now, what's been the impact? And so, what the way I do it is we I categorize it to make it a little bit more organized, right? So, new beliefs that get formed about what God, mm-hmm. self, others, and our world. Yep. So when this event has happened, now what is my view of God? Oh, he's not good. He's not faithful. You know, he's whatever. Uh, and then what about myself? Oh, I'm dirty. No one's going to want me. You know, those types of things. And then what about other people? I can't trust other people. All men cheat, you know, whatever the thing is. Um, and that's, we really need to spend time there. So that's a really important important thing to look at, um, looking at maladaptive thinking and, and, uh, lies, just flat out lies, um, and, and being able to gently lead her or him to what is actually true. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that takes time, especially with complex trauma, I kind of touch yeah. on that, like complex trauma, this is the trickiest part. Yeah. And interestingly to that too, I remember you said something like when you, when you're counseling somebody or when you're talking to somebody who's come to you and they're sharing something, you, you say, um, don't go right for the lie. Like, don't go right away yes. and be like, oh, you have a lie. Or uh, what did yes. you say about that? I thought it was yeah, so interesting. I, I have a, <laughs> I know, I'm like, I have a kind of a pet peeve here because, and I've done this wrong myself. I've sure. totally done it. I've totally, I've done, totally it. done it. I've done it many times. <laughs> but I think my pet peeve is, um, so let's say you're a mentor or you're a home group leader or somebody and you're, and you're walking with a woman who's believing some of these really obvious lies of I'm not good enough and no one will ever love me or whatever. Yeah. Don't jump in immediately to, okay, what lie are you believing about God or the gospel? Mm. Because what that does, although it's a lie, yes, yes, you're, you're assessing it correctly. 
But what it does is it puts potential shame on her of you're believing a lie. You need to just believe the truth and then you'll feel better. And there is a place for sure where we need to speak truth and we need to acknowledge that there are lies and and vows and strongholds and those things that are happening for sure. But I, I think what I said in that breakout was don't start there. Don't go in with guns blazing of this is a lie. This is truth. You know, I've had people, um, I think I've even given this as homework, um, too quickly in counseling of like, okay, here's your lie. And then now make another column, you know, in your journal or in a word document of what's the truth. And then just say it to yourself. Well, it's interesting, right? Because it, it makes it trite. So it can be true, like yes. everything we're saying, but if it's so deeply rooted, it's like saying yes. to somebody who doesn't experientially believe that God loves them, God loves you, God loves you, God loves you. Well, that doesn't right. mean anything. That's, That's right. like saying, oh, what do you say? What's your line? That's like saying Donald Trump loves you. Well, what does that mean? Yeah. That doesn't mean anything. Yeah. <laughs> right. I know that. Yeah, exactly. The, the, the queen of England, she's passionate about you and right. she's it doesn't mean you. anything. Like, so what? And so I always, right. I know I, I sound kind of harsh in counseling, but I'll say, do you know that God loves you? And they're like, well, yeah. I mean, they could quote me the verse. And then I'll say, so what? Like, so why does that matter? And no one has answers. Mm. Like the, the on the ground, what are the benefits of his love? That's where we need people. That's where we need mentors and and friends and pastors to come alongside and go, Yes, you're believing a lie, but you're also missing the the depth of who he is in your life. And when there's trauma, oh my goodness, there's such a fracture of thinking. Yeah. And then they feel this deep shame that they're sitting in a Bible study with all these other women who get it. And yeah. they're just on fire for the Lord. And they feel like either God doesn't love them, because why mm-hmm. don't they experience this? Or they're yep. so beyond repair that they can't experience this kind of emotional thing. And it's a lot of times the spiritual part is not the first thing that we need to deal with, mm. um, especially with anxiety. It's like we we go straight to, no, God says to fear not. Okay, so let me just quote that verse over and over and over <laughs> 10,000 times, mm-hmm. but it doesn't help. Mm-hmm. Um, and not to say God's word isn't true or powerful. It's just we have to have more skill of utilizing scripture um, and not to scare people that you're going to mess it up. You know, there's there's plenty of grace and, and don't. Right, because we're don't, all going to mess up. I mean, can yes. we just, it's going to happen. Yes. We're going to fail. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, oh, yes. To go back to my early days of counseling, I would give anything to go back to find those people and go, wait, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, it's, I'm just saying it's to be more sensitive and to help them connect with the feeling before we rush into changing their feelings. I think yeah, that's, that's really, really good. important. Yeah. And, so and a, really, it's the model of sanctification. It's the model of how the Holy Spirit matures us. It doesn't happen. We we are a new creature immediately when we're saved. Yes. But for sure, we are not immediately mature and like have it all together no. on this earth. Like it is a process of yes. walking through life and trials and so many things as we yes. are maturing in Christ. And so it's the same yes. thing with healing. You can't just yeah. yeah, jump on the yeah, thing. I wish. Like, well, believe this. Well, okay. <laughs> well, exactly. And they want, and we all do. Don't we want that? Don't we want to throw of the Romans Of course we do. And we all things work together for good, honey. Too it's, bad we're just so, so 
complicated and complex. It's like the woman who doesn't leave her abusive husband. Why? Even though she knows logically this is unsafe and all of her friends tell her, what are you doing? Well, it's complex. There's bonds there and it's confusing and wounds and all the stuff. Anyway, we're going to talk a little bit about about that in our next interview. So we'll wait for that. That's so good. Yeah, so true. So really the best thing for that woman is to sit with her and sit in silence and yeah. tell her that, and if that's uncomfortable for us, which it will be, trauma is very uncomfortable work. Yes. And to sit there and cry with her if it's natural to do that. Don't make yourself cry, but if, you, if you're feeling it, man, connect with her. Help her to connect with her own feelings and to put names on what, like the labels of the feeling. I feel frustrated. And mm-hmm. to be able to get to this place of acceptance of sanctification and healing are slow. And I'm going to accept that this is part of my journey and let's accept that for this woman sitting in front of us or man sitting in front of us and not feel the, this pressure to rush them past that. I think that's really important. Um, yeah, I think that's a huge thing. And so, yeah, we're talking about beliefs that get formed, now maladaptive thinking. And then I think another huge thing is shame. And so, mm. man, we could spend a whole hour on shame, but yeah. shame, and, shame and guilt are very different things. And I think, I think, again, we're getting more language in the church about the differences. I think it's good. Um, but guilt has to do with sin or actually doing something wrong. And shame is not necessarily sin-related at all. And so shame is a feeling of unworthiness. It's a deep dislike for self. It's not meeting a standard. It's not necessarily sin-related. Now, you can have both connected for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes we feel shame about things. Well, we shouldn't feel guilt or shame if we're believers because we're covered by the blood of Jesus, but shame in particular, we tend to carry shame if there's been abuse, even neglect, criticism, we've been shamed. Yeah. And there's really something like something's wrong with me. Something is wrong with me. That's right. I am bad. I am inherently broken. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's, not true, but it feels, I mean, it's very, I would, I argue that shame is probably the worst feeling we can feel. Um, the, the vulnerability, the fear that comes after that, it's just very hard. Yeah. Mm. So in, in complex trauma, um, when, if you are a child, um, if there's been sexual abuse or, um, really any kind of abuse as a child, Um, I like the picture of, think of a little girl about four or five years old and someone comes and puts a heavy leather, like, like motorcycle jacket on her and her, you know, you picture the sleeves being really long. It's kind of pushing her down a little bit, her her kind of hunched over. And this thing is like, what, 50 pounds or something, 40 pounds It's heavy on her. And she's like stumbling around trying to walk and run and to live her life. And that shame was never hers to carry. It wasn't guilt. It wasn't that she sinned and now she needs to be washed by the blood of Jesus. She was, someone else's shame was put on her. And so what happens Mm. is she grows up into maturity. She's now a woman still wearing the coat and she's Mm. like fitting in it now. She's just wearing it. And she feels like people can see it and she knows she doesn't fit in with everyone else. Although it's an invisible coat, right? It's invisible. No one sees it really. She, she sees it. She feels it. Even if she doesn't have a label for it, she feels it. And so 
um, complex trauma, again, it's so it's it is the harder one to get healing um, because I'm trying to take that jacket off, and yeah. it's like part of their skin, right? Yeah. And so there's this vulnerability of like I don't know who I am without wearing this these labels, mm. this feeling, and it's extremely scary. Although as an outsider, we're like take it off. It's filthy, you know, Um, but it's hard. It's really hard. And so to be able to, again, connect people to the cross and again, like what's the, everyone knows the, or Christians know the story of Easter, but again, what is the impact? What is the implication that Jesus rose again? And, Mm. and I, and this, this is not a one-time conversation with this woman, but it's, it's a, does she have an understanding that Jesus died on the cross for guilt, which is sin, but he also died for that shame. And so to be able to help her take that off and hand it to Jesus and not, not necessarily hand it back to the the guy, the girl or whoever put it on her, but to hand it back to Jesus um, is just profoundly powerful. But again, we wouldn't lead with that. There's a lot of work that has to be done before we get there. But yeah, shame is one of the huge consequences. Um, yeah. And then another one is despair. Um, so learned mm. helplessness. So again, that, that social engagement system, I'm crying out for help, but no one's there. So the belief gets formed. I'm by myself. Uh, I'm either too much or I'm not enough or whatever that phrase that got tattooed on her heart or his heart. And then they just learn to not even ask anymore. Um, yeah. And there's a hopelessness that comes with that as well things aren't going to get better. Or I wonder too, if they've tried and tried and tried and nothing's working. And so they slide into despair because they're like, will this ever change? Is there really hope? Right. Exactly. And so many times people come in with depression, which makes sense, like depressed, depressive symptoms, but really it's this kind of helplessness. I, I, I'm powerless. I'm I'm hopeless, right? It's a similar idea, but to be able to frame it from a trauma perspective is helpful. Yeah. So if you are a person who is, um, you know, you're hearing these things and, and you're going, okay, this resonates with my friend or the person I'm mentoring or someone in your Bible study or something. And you're going, how can I help her? Um, I think we kind of touched on some of these things a little bit, but the first thing is don't feel the pressure to be her savior and to jump in and make it all better for her and clean it up for her. I think that's a human response. We want to tie things up in a pretty bow. We want to be able to say the right verse and it just be healing right then. And and I just want you to take that pressure off of yourself and also to understand that this is going to be a long process and so you're not going to be the main, or you shouldn't be, I don't think, the main one who's going to be walking with her. And so I want more people involved, get her in counseling, get her, get a pastor involved, just getting more eyes on her if she's willing um, to, to actually have more people walk with her and to you to just be the support kind of to that. Um, um, again, I think I said this before, but not going too quickly to solutions, helping her to connect with her feelings, her thoughts, her physical body. You know, if she's starting to get activated, one thing I tell people all the time is if you're hearing a story or you're walking with someone and she's getting emotionally activated and you're seeing her um, starting to panic or get really angry, that is your cue to slow down and not keep asking questions 
We do not want to have trauma stories told or even go any, any deeper at all if they become dysregulated. That is not the time to even be using terms like trauma, but that is your cue to do coping skills to help her to stay connected. Those coping skills can be deep breathing. Those are hugely important. And there's, there was a study that talked about um, how important oxygen is to the prefrontal cortex and also hydration. So stress and anxiety actually dehydrates the brain. And so some very simple coping is let's get a drink of water. Let's take some deep breaths in through the nose, out through the mouth. Let's calm down that nervous system. Let's use our five senses to stay connected in the present. I always have a candle going in my, in my office so that if someone gets dissociated or dysregulated, I'm pulling them back with their senses. What are you smelling? What are you touching? What are you hearing? And um, those are just really good grounding techniques. And to be able to pull her to, what are you feeling? What are you thinking? What is your body doing right now? Help her shift her body. She may need to stand up. She wants whatever she needs, but that is not the time to continue talking about her story. It's a very, very, very important piece of it. Um, and then to, you know, uh, be able to recognize that, okay, if you start seeing somebody be this dysregulated, there's probably unresolved pain in, in their past and to, and to know that they're not just being crazy. And it's not always a heart idol issue. Again, going back to what's that lie you're believing? It's not always an idol. Now, trauma can definitely form idols in our hearts, for sure. But I think from from a from a church perspective, a biblical perspective, we're always trying to hunt out the sin and the idol and put that to death. And, and yes, yes, but sometimes it is a brain nervous system thing. And so, just to for for the helpers listening here to really really respect that and to understand that that's what's going on. And then teaching her that you're not crazy, like normalize things for her. Of course you're struggling with sex with your husband. Of course you're struggling with whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's so good. Um, I guess I would just ask in your practice, and this is going to be a really obvious question, but I think it's important to ask for people who are feeling hopeless. Do you often see women become reordered in their brains again and be connected with their body again, where they feel safe enough to be intimate. Do you see that? Are you seeing that happen with the women that come into you? Yes. Sometimes. Yes. I cannot guarantee all of them, but yes. Mm, That's good. Thank you. Well, Angie, thank you so much. And uh, we will continue this with part two, where we are talking about Um, trauma and infidelity. Great. Thank you. It's been fun. Angie's information will be in the show notes. So if you want to get in touch with her for counseling, uh, you can do that. Just click on the link in the show notes. Thank you for listening to the Complicated Heart Podcast. If you like this podcast, if you found it helpful, please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Reviews are how people know if they should listen or not, so your review matters. Thank you so much. If you want to know more, check out the Complicated Heart Podcast.com.